This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are looking back on all the action from round three, as well as looking forward to what's in store in week two at the US Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. So Kim, first week done and dusted in Flushing Meadows. We've reached the midway stage. Djokovic is somewhat making a procession, I feel, of the of the men's draw, whilst absolutely no one is talking about Sophia Kennan in the women's draw. How how do you think kind of the, the first week has gone in New York, first Grand Slam back after lockdown? I mean, there's been a few hitches, I'd say, but I think overall it's been a it's been a pretty it's pretty been a pretty entertaining tournament so far. It has. It's been good. I, you know, at first it was a bit weird seeing empty stadiums and there not being like a crowd there. But I think we as human beings are very quick to adapt. And I've already got used to the fact that there's no one there. And, you know, I'm just enjoying the tennis. And actually, you know, we were all debating, weren't we, whether there would be like an asterisk over the winner of these of this tournament. But as it's gone on, I've sort of begun to feel like there, there really needn't be because, you know, you've got to play the best tennis to win regardless of who you're up against and it's all a bit weird and different with the fact that there's no crowd but at the end of the day the best player in the draw is probably going to win and I don't think anything should be taken away from them because we've seen some fantastic matches and some fantastic performances so far this week and um, you know I think that they're very deserving the players that we've got in in the fourth round um, they've done what they need to do to get there and uh, yeah we've had some interesting upsets and matches which we're going to get our teeth into today aren't we Joel? Yes and I mean it's funny you talk about kind of adapting and I think we almost kind of take it for granted because I think in the third round particularly we've had some absolutely fantastic comebacks and and five set matches particularly and I always kind of think you know as fans we always kind of take it for granted and we've got to remember I think that there has been so much change and you know not not only fans have had to adapt to you know you know the tennis but obviously players have had to as well so it's I think it's incredible that we're getting these matches um in this environment that's completely alien to these players who you know still kind of finding their feet in this you know brave new world new normal whatever you want to call it and yeah round three I think really kind of typified the fact that we are getting we have had some fantastic matches crowd or no crowd they've been putting on a show for us um you know watching on on the television and um yeah i think let's kind of before we get into round three let's kind of focus on the matches we weren't able to cover in our our round two 
um, in our round two uh, catch up. Um, we'll start with the kind of the Brits, actually, because we need to kind of first of all address Andy Murray versus versus FAA versus Auger Aliassim, where Auger Aliassim, I mean, he probably put on the match of his life, I think. I mean, kind of watching it, it was really kind of a, it felt like a career defining match you know at his age um you know it felt like a moment where he he made that level up and he gave murray absolutely no chance he put on he put on a bit of a clinic didn't he he did he's been playing really well and i think you know he's he's a player that we know has so much potential and promise and you know last year he he reached a a number of finals didn't he and never managed to get over the finish line but you know we were all talking about him then and then his season kind of was curtailed a bit by injury and and such like and it's almost like now he's finally getting his groove on and putting on the the performances that we you know had expected of him uh you know previously um I was expecting him to beat Andy. I, I did think it might be closer than it actually was. But I think, you know, part of that was obviously, I think, the fatigue that Andy had from his first round. You know, it, 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 he has a metal hit, for Christ's sake. So uh, maybe we were kind of, I don't know, were people expecting too much? I don't know. It was, it was a great performance from Felix. And, you know, it, he just outplayed Andy. And, I mean, yes, we would like Andy to be able to compete better with someone of you know FAA's caliber um and obviously that's where Andy's going to be working towards and we know that he you know he had that great match against Zverev um you know two weeks ago but um yeah you could really see the the difference and and kind of the gap and like that's okay you know Andy's doing fantastically well to even be on the court so we have to kind of put it into perspective I think Oh uh, yeah, I, I think we've got to remember like Murray's outside, you know, the top top one hundred in the world, and you know, Auger Aliassim is is certainly looking like he's a player who could reach. I mean, he could even reach world number one, you know, in in the future. That was how good I thought his game was, um, you know, against Murray. You know, the standout statistic for me from that match was the fact that Murray he went zero for zero on break points. He didn't even manage to um, create one chance to break Oje Aliassim's serve, and it was just it was just such a. I think it was just a performance beyond his years, and it was really kind of a moment to kind of show, you know, showcase his ability against someone who you know is a Grand Slam champion and. He will be a very dangerous person, uh, you know, for the rest of the tournament. I mean, he's already in round four. I think he had um, another kind of straight sets victory in in round three. I mean, he, you just look at his frame. He's just got a big booming serve, very solid from the baseline. Um, I know he's had a few injury problems in the past, but um, yeah, he's been he's been looking, uh, you know, he's been in looking in excellent form. I mean, Murray, a uh, kind of after the match, kind of said, you know. He's going to, you know, I'm not going to be a Grand Slam champion, I don't think, in the future. But I'm going to, I mean, his words, he was going to, he was kind of saying, I'm going to reach for the stars. And I think, to be honest, that's all we can expect, you know, that's all we can hope for. And I love to have the, you know, the Murray magic in the, in the matches. You know, we saw that in that Zverev match. We saw that in, um, you know, his first round match as well. And I think we're going to have to be, as, as Murray fans, we're just going to have to be content with the, we're going to get we're going to we feel like we're going to get vintage murray but it might be on a a smaller scale than maybe what we were kind of having you know maybe a few years ago yeah i think set your expectation right and then you won't be so disappointed <laughs> you know if you can just 
grab onto the end, like a match here or there where he shows like vintage Andy, then, you know, you, it's, you know, be realistic, but you can still, as long as he's enjoying still playing tennis, you know, that that's the thing. It's that how, if he knows he's not going to get to kind of the highest heights again, but he's happy to see how well, see how far he can go and how well he can play, then if that's enough for him, you know, I don't know if, if he would need more. And as, as time went on, if he, you know, if that would, would, would it satisfy him? I don't know, but um, yeah. that's, that's going to have to see how it unfolds over the next year or so. Because I mean, it's not going to get any easier because I don't think he's entered into Rome. So his next tournament would be Roland Garros. And we all know how punishing a clay court surface can be um, on, on someone on a tennis player's body. So again, that will be very, it'll be interesting to see his style of play, I think, going into Roland Garros, whether he kind of, you know, changes it as up and whether he goes for, I don't know, is more aggressive and goes for winners earlier in the point because you feel, as I said, clay a clay court surface is not a surface is a very kind of un, uncompromising surface particularly when you've had kind of the you know the hip injuries that um you know someone like Andy Murray has had so you know let's let's wait and see how that kind of progresses but obviously we had other Brits in action as well and you know we had Joe Conta against Sestaya in the third round um second round oh was that a second round round. because uh, when we did our last podcast it was whilst joe was playing and i distinctly remember you saying joel that you had like full faith in content that she was going to do it when you know she didn't so but you're eating your words now uh gosh yeah she was a setup and you know thought we thought it was going swimmingly she was comfortable um but kaseya just sort of suddenly turned it on and hung in there, took it into a third set. And then, you know, in the third set, she was by far and away the better player, really raised her game. And and Joe didn't really have like a backup. She didn't really have like a plan B. So she was sort of trying to figure it out, but it wasn't just wasn't enough. And yeah, 6-4 in the third set. I, I hadn't seen that coming when she, you know, clinched that first set fairly comfortably. I mean, she was her opponent. Her opponent was playing well because she only mm. just lost in her third round match. She, I think, she actually had match points. She had match points, yeah, in the subsequent round against Mukova. So, because there's, you know, she has been playing well, and we know she she has been much higher ranked than her current ranking of seventy seven. So, she wasn't to be underestimated. She's never one of those players you really want to face. I mean, she does have a track record of having these kind of long fight backs in matches. I think the the frustrating thing is particularly for Conta, but also for Evans and Norrie is they they would they've lost from winning positions, and I think you know that's the I think when you kind of look at back at how the you know the Brits did in at the U.S. Open in in 2020, I think it was kind of a series of missed opportunities because I think all three were kind of you know when all is kind of said and done and look at themselves in the mirror, they will look at the, you know, their opponents and think I should have probably won that match. Um, and yeah, it happened three times over because Evans and Mute, um, I mean, that was a, that I mean, that was a very entertaining match that again, I was not expecting Evans to, I mean, he looked great kind of going into it. I was not expecting him to, to lose that and he was pretty kind of negative on himself he, he said he played a pretty bad match you know blamed himself for defeat it's a difficult match that though because they had the rain delay so they stopped uh you know six five in the third set and oh, you know, know. Coming very back, awkward time wasn't awkward, it awkward yeah coming back the next day you know dan had to like he was up advantage on his serve and you know he could easily have like lost three points in a row straight off the bat and and you know dropped that third set but 
went to a tie break and yeah I think he was up in that tie break and then Mute just clawed his way back grabbed the set and then same thing pretty much happened in the, in the fourth set and Mute was a very odd player like he's very volatile he sort of gets really worked up and you think oh he's self-combusting and then he sort of channels that into putting together like a run of amazing points so yeah I just yeah looking at that match beforehand I you know I would have said yes Evan Evan should win this but in hindsight like Mute was uh you know he's a very he is a very talented player and I just I do think Dan should have at least have taken it into a fifth. I think it deserved, I think he, he really should have done, yeah, that the potential was there for him to kind of get over the finish line. I think in the crucial moments, he wasn't there. So that is frustrating for sure. It was proper. I was, like, when I was watching it. I was like, this is proper like blokes tennis. It was kind <laughs> of like, I thought it was like these, these two guys, they just like, kind of like, it, they, as much as I love seeing them on a tennis court, I would love to kind of like, just like, socialize with them I feel like Mute's in like the Benoit pair category of players who pre good fun on a like good fun on a night out and um uh, yeah I just think it was a yeah a shame missed opportunity for Evans and also a missed opportunity for Cam Norrie as well against Davidic Fikina um you know a rising a rising Spanish player I'm still not too sure how much we can expect of him I've in my head in my head going into this match for me he was like a player who is very good on a clay court and, you know, will be very successful at challenger level, but I don't really, I, I haven't really seen enough from Davidic Fikina to make me think he's going to be, you know, a person who can get consistently to, you know, the second week of a, of a grand slam. But, um, you know, in the moment uh, against Norrie, um, again, he was able to kind of um, outlast his opponent. I don't know if Norrie was kind of tired from his exertions in his, you know, first round match against Schwartzman because I know he talked about, you know, I mean, his, he kind of fell away in the um, in the fourth set and he was kind of talking about, well, in the last two sets, but he was kind of talking about that, you know, his vision was impaired because of di- dehydration. And um, yeah, it, I mean, I don't think you can look too much into those kind of, yeah, the the third and uh, third and the third and fourth set, but the fact that he went a set up against Davidic Vikina, you'd think that he would be able to kind of just make that an easy, an easy, an easy three. Well, um, I think he dropped the first set. Actually, wasn't it on a tie break? He get, he got the second set, I think. Um, but that he, I think he got an early break in the third. Um, so you sort of thought, oh, come on, Cam, you know, momentum, and then. Davidovich Fakina just, yeah, <laughs> stubbornly was refusing to go anywhere and, and yeah, was the better player, um, as it, as it went on. And I, it's a bit weird that Cam was dehydrated. Do you think he would have like got on top of his fluids? Uh, I know it was very, very humid, um, sort of slightly earlier in the week. And I know it's, you know, challenging conditions, but, um, it's not great if you're sort of not getting your, your hydration right. But, um, I think that we have to remember with Cam, like this is the first time he's got to this stage of a slam. And we have to remember, you know, he he was the best Brit overall in the singles. He reached the third round. Um, so although he actually ended up losing before Dan Evans, uh, you know, in terms of the scheduling because of Dan's delay, but um, he exceeded expectations I would say more so than any other Brit because, you know, he came through Schwartzman in that first round, saving match points. So, I'm going to give Cam Norrie my, I don't know, Brit of the tournament in the singles to, for for going way further than we thought he would. I mean, to be fair, we would. We, I don't think any British fan would have kind of said in the singles 
yeah, Cam Cam Norrie would be the last Brit standing. So, you know, I, I just think it's like a bit of a I almost feel like it's, it's as I said, there's always a bit of it's a little bit bittersweet because he did have that very memorable victory against Schwartzman. And um, yeah, I think it's like, yeah, he would have felt that he, this was a real opportunity yeah, with sure. you know, the top players not being in that he could have reached the, the second week. But hey, ho, let's kind of uh, let's kind of move on. And we, we've we've spoken enough about the Brits. All the Brits are out now. So hang on. The, the singles Brits are out, but we do have uh, Joe Salisbury and, and Jamie and Neil in the doubles. So they once again will save the British bacon. <laughs> And hopefully one of them will, will be a Grand Slam champion at the end of the week. Yes. Uh, but yeah, let's move on to all the other kind of action going on in the men's third round. Because as I said, we had some very entertaining matches, matches that went five sets, complete with ridiculous comebacks. And when all was said and done, Stefanos Sissipas went out to Borna Chorich, uh, the number 27th seed, who saved like I think he saved six match points against Sissipas and was able to yeah just display nerves of steel to come through in a in a final set tie break in a match that had so many it had so many sort of uh swaying of momentum uh we had an outburst as well from uh Sissipas and his dad in the crowd which I mean which is great um for you know well i mean not so great for sispas but um you know it's just very interesting to see um yeah and i i don't really i didn't really think this was going to happen because sispas had looked really good kind of going into us open chorich chorich's form this season has not been that great i mean yes he had a victory against dominic team in the atp cup very early doors but i mean i think he was kind of seven and seven and six uh you know going into going into um going into the tournament and I'm just and yeah I just was not really wasn't really expecting this I mean were you I've just yeah I was just kind of I was just thought we were kind of meandering towards the Djokovic Sissipas semi-final yeah I mean with Koric he is very inconsistent you don't really know what's going to turn up sometimes I could have easily seen Sissipas winning this comfortably in in three in three sets yeah it, it's Surprising. I think Sitsabas will really be ruining this one. I mean, having all those match points and not converting, um, you know, it is one of the worst losses he's probably ever had. And I think he came out on Twitter afterwards and, um, he, you know, he's always very philosophical, isn't he, uh, on social media and in his interviews. And how do you unpick this statement? I don't know. <laughs> I don't well, know. He said, this is probably the saddest and funniest at the same time thing that has ever happened in my career. So at least if he's saying it's funny, you know, he's looking at it also in a sort of, in a, you know, in a, in a humorous light, because at the end of the day, it's sport. And yes, it's sad and painful that you've lost this match from a winning position. But I suppose hopefully he's got that kind of reflective aspect so he can see, well, actually, I should laugh about it and move on. But um, I don't know. <laughs> it's just a classic. I do love the fact that he literally tweeted that as soon as he got off court. I'd love yeah. more. I'd love more players to literally, as soon as they get off court, just like forget the post match interview. Just put, just put a tweet out, and uh, yeah, because um, uh, yeah, this was a very hard loss. I mean, this would be a very tough loss, I think, for Sissipas to take. Of course, it's all part of a, a learning experience, and you know, a learning curve, and you know, he'll be better for it in the future. But, um, you know, when you're, when you have kind of six, six, six match points, you, you'd expect to come through it. And I think, you know, in, uh, 
in the post-match interview, Chorich kind of said, you know, he was a bit lucky. He was, he felt he was a bit lucky. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and yeah, so, uh, you know, unfortunate, unfortunate for Sissipas, but I'm sure he'll kind of bounce back. As I said, he'd looked, he's looked really good. Uh, he looked really good at going into the tournament and I've kind of fully expect that to kind of, he'll be a threat kind of going on in, in the future. It's just a shame. Yeah. Chorich was able to get the, to get the job done. And, um, another five set match that, that happened also, um, really kind of entertaining was between Shapovalov and, um, Taylor Fritz with um, Shapovalov kind of winning again in five from two sets, two sets to one down, five, two down in the fourth set. So another big comeback. And I think this was, I think this was very, very impressive from Shapovalov because I think, you know, we always kind of consider him as a bit of a shot maker and he's got great, you know, eye catching single handed backhand, but I think this match really kind of, you know, looking at it really showed me again, a little, little bit like Chorich, actually, the sort of nerves of steel he's added to his game and that sort of winning mentality that you need from, you know, some, you know, a seemingly impossible position to win from. He went and did it. And I know kind of Taylor Fritz kind of, you could say he choked a little bit, but I think, you know, Shapovalov deserves full credit for being able to, to come back and, and win that in five because he was, you know, he was staring into the abyss, as I said, at, at five, two down in the fourth set. The abyss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. And this is another uh, case of the should, uh, you know, should Taylor Fritz should have won this really. Uh, he got really tight, I think, you know, serving out and, you know, and he's not points. really been in this position before, has he? Yeah, this would have been, I think, the furthest he'd, he's been at a slam going into the fourth round. I'm not 100% sure about that. But um, yeah, he came within two points of victory. Um, but he just, yeah, he he changed when I got to that point. And he just needs to work on his his mentality and, and not be so frail in such a position because, you know, he's got all the kind of the shots uh he's got you know good hands to the net he's you know he is if you look at it on paper a potential you know person that can go deep in slams but he so far we haven't seen anything from him that suggests that he's got like the mental fortitude to kind of back the strokes up um whereas Shapovalov has shown you know some of that in in this victory um and perhaps also a bit more in the past so yeah I mean also Shapovalov his outfit's very. I know we're talking about the the um, the the night the Adidas uh, not the Adidas the Agassi outfits. You know what I'm trying to say here, but Shapovalov also got a bit of a style going on with his kind of baggy, kind of half sleeve action going on. Uh, but it suits him, I think. <laughs> I feel like bagginess is back in. I know we've gone through like an era of like making sure you have like skin tight. I know particularly like in football, for example, but I do think like baggy is on the way back in and maybe Shapovalov is, is bringing that back. But um, yeah, he, um, I mean, can- Canadian tennis in, in general really is kind of smashing it this tournament because yes. we've had Shapovalov, um, Pospisil, who beat Raonic um, during our, our last catch-up um, in four sets, uh, is through as well to the fourth round. Um, and obviously, we just talked about Ojea Aliassim. I think it's the first time they've had three guys um, in the fourth round of a Grand Slam. So, I mean, I think... Uh, Chapovalov said it himself. They're in the kind of a golden era of Canadian tennis, and I know I feel like we said that phrase many times before um, on on the podcast. Particularly when you think they've got you know someone like Andrescu um, on the women's side as well. Eugenie Bouchard's knocking about, who's who's doing well. So 
you know, they're really kind of, um, you know, they're, they're a country that's definitely got some, um, some players who are coming into form at the moment because, yeah, Pospisil came through against Batista Agut um, from two sets to one down. Alex de Menor as well came came um, from uh, that deficit as well against Karen Kachinov. So we did really have some um, some really entertaining five set matches in that in that third round. We also had some interesting um, kind of context. I think we were kind of talking about the bubble, the bubble within a bubble, which has kind of become one of the most popular phrases, I think, <laughs> over over the last kind of seven days or so. Well. That has kind of continued um, in the build-up to the Zverev-Manorino match. I mean, Zverev came through, I think, thank God, um, in four sets. Because if Manorino had won, I think Zverev would have potentially... I mean, I would have kicked off um, because he, uh, at some, uh, you know, he at one point didn't even feel like his match against Manorino was, was even going to happen. Yeah, there was a confusing delay because they were due to come out, you know, in the day session... Um, after I think the Kerber match and they weren't coming out to court and I was kind of like waiting for this match. I was like, what, what is going on? Um, I say waiting. I wasn't sort of, you know, this wasn't my match of the day, but uh, I was just, um, you know, expecting them to come on to court. And then I saw Zverev sitting around like topless watching whatever was going on. Um, and Good I thought, hang on, preparation. Yeah. shouldn't he be getting ready? <laughs> but obviously all this drama was going on behind the scenes because essentially what's happened is that uh, Nassau County, uh, which is the kind of state entity that have um, leeway over where the player hotels are located, they issued quarantine notices for all the people that had been in close contact with with Benoit Pair, uh, basically saying they, they shouldn't be leaving the hotel any longer they should they need to stay in their room for the rest of their quarantine period um so therefore overruling kind of what the usta had had created you know this bubble within the bubble but manorino was already at the site you know preparing for his match they were kind of thinking oh what's gonna what are we gonna do with him um so that's why there was a delay because they were wondering if he would be allowed to play um and i think the usta were trying to you know work with the the authorities, I suppose, to sort of let the match go ahead. Um, I mean, yes, it's just as well that Manorino didn't win because that would have created an absolute furore uh, because subsequent to this match, you know, Kristina Mladenovic has been told that she has to withdraw from the doubles and stay in her room, which is probably not going to go down very well, seeing nope. as she thought that she was already living in a prison. Um, I hope she's she now won in- that game of cards. I hope she won that game of cards. Kim, <laughs> was it Kim, worth uh, it? Yeah. <laughs> was it worth it? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't. I mean, do you think Madenovic like, is not, I mean, she can't be the greatest fan of Benoit Pair right now. Um, well, but, I mean, he yeah. didn't know, to be fair to Benoit Pair, he had tested yeah, I, negative, I, yeah. so they weren't to know. And they were wearing masks, apparently. And I don't know. Mm. It's just one of those things, isn't it? And it, it sucks. Like, it does suck having to stay in your room uh, for, I don't you know, how much longer they've got. Be, you just hope it's it's not going to be you, and it's just you know, unfortunately, it's affected Madenovic, it affected Manorino, um, and and Zverev. To be fair, I mean, like you know, he was probably expecting his match to go on at some point, and then you know it wasn't happening, and then he's kind of left in limbo. And I think that makes it you know that for him, he's like, look, I want to know if I'm playing tennis today or not. Like, let it's. I think there's a there's a level of kind of um uncertainty that this kind of bubble within a bubble that has brought that has kind of impacted yes kind of players directly but also impacted players like Zverev indirectly and um yeah it's interesting because Djokovic after his kind of routine win against Struff 
um, kind of talked about the fact that there feels that there's been a little bit of inconsistency um, from the tournament organizers. And I, I agree with that. And I think it's, I, to be honest, though, I feel like it's a bit natural when you're in this situation for a, like a first time. Um, now, I don't know in, in hindsight whether, you know, the, because I think I've, you kind of spoke about the fact that the hotel is in a different jurisdiction to the, you know, where the, the main site is. And as a result of that, I feel like that's created a bit of a, a schism or a like, um, you know, one rule for the, I don't know if it's kind of like there's different rules applied to, you know, the hotel in that county versus, you know, the site, which is in, you know, New York City, um, whether that's like a learning for the future, whether to just have ideally the, you know, the hotel and the, the site in the same sort of place. Um, well, the thing is, yeah. for me, like surely the health authorities, you know, Nassau County, whoever it is, when they saw that there were 11 players, you know, the pair 11 uh, being allowed to carry on playing, surely they should have stepped in like at the start of the week and said, hang on, no, mm, like we, yeah. we're not allowing this. Like why wait? Why suddenly make this decision, you know, five, six days into the tournament? Like it doesn't seem very joined up and it's not very quick. And, you know, there's a whole host of players that if they had had to quarantine from that word go, you know, it might have changed the whole face of the tournament. And there are players that have lost to those sorts of players who might have, you know, who are probably feeling pretty pissed off right now because, you know, they could have had more of an opportunity. And I know, it, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to like decision making, you know, from above. But oh, it, it doesn't seem very consistent. And I, yeah, I, I totally empathise how frustrating it is. Um, and I think the reason that Manorino was actually allowed to play this match was that he was already on the site. Um, then he wasn't sort of at the hotel, I guess, at the time that this decision came into force. So. It's just a bit interesting, really. Um, I'm hoping that if this thing happens at Roland Garros, that they will, you know, have smoothed out uh, anything that might occur there. But, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if uh, I was just thinking, because obviously, I mean, Medvedev is still in and there is a, and there is a lot of eyes on Medvedev because he is uh, he was um, well rumoured to be one of these uh, pair 11 or at least come into kind of contact with him. So, I don't think he was in the close contact, though. I don't think he was in the card playing group. He was kind of like in a sort of slightly lesser contact section. <laughs> I don't know. If I'm on site, if that's okay, and I'm a seeded player, maybe I'll just like, uh, maybe I'll just get like a, a sleeping bag and throw it in my suite in the, <laughs> just, on yeah. after Ash. Just stay on site the rest of the tournament. Just make sure like you can't do anything to out. me. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. Get the airbed out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we, we, we are now into round four. So let's just quickly preview the men's round four uh, draw. So I'll just kind of go through what we've got in store um, over the next kind of couple of days. So we've got Djokovic versus Corona Booster, uh, PCB. Uh, Shapovalov, That's going to be a whitewash, isn't it? Yeah, I just think Djokovic. so. I mean, gosh. Anyway, sorry, Shap- carry yeah. on. <laughs> Sh- Shapovalov, Goffan, uh, Chorich, uh, Jordan Thompson, and then Davidich, Fikina versus Alex Verev in the top half. And then in the bottom half, we've got Berrettini versus Rublev, Tiafo versus Medvedev, Pospisil versus Alex de Menor, uh, and his terrible facial hair, I will add. Um, oh my God, Joel, and, uh... you need to uh, grow an ADM style moustache now. <laughs> you, did, you did a Dan Evans, why not an ADM? <laughs> um, and then we've got, I mean, this for me is probably the pick of the, the round, really. Uh, Auger Aliassime versus Dominic Team. That is, for me, the 
that's going to be a really examination, isn't it, for Dominic Team in terms of where you know where his game is at. I know he's just come through Marin Cilic, who um, you know put up a very good fight over kind of four sets, but it's only going to get tougher from there. And I think Ogier Aliassim is going to be a real handful for Dominic Team. I mean, Kim, what do you think? Well, where where of those ties are you kind of where are your eyes kind of attract, attracted to? Yeah, I think Team FAA is pick of the bunch. You know, you're sort of thinking, how's Team going to fare? This might be his sort of first biggest test. Um, and obviously he has that terrible match at the Western and Southern. Uh, and FAA, you know, how is he actually going to hold up against someone who is, you know, at the top of his game? So I guess that one, I'm, I'm intrigued actually. Um, Rublev's been going through the draw very nicely. Um, so yeah. I'm intrigued. So Berrettini. Yeah, they've been both under the radar. So I think whoever comes out of that is probably going to be facing what Medvedev in the quarterfinals I'm kind of oh I'm gunning a bit for Rublev here to to proceed through to maybe the semis I, I don't know um and then you I love mean... Rublev I've noticed this over <laughs> the last few podcasts you always you, you always back him don't you I do like um... a bit of Rublev yeah he's quite entertaining <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not very excited about Borna Koric and Jordan Thompson I'm not gonna lie that doesn't really get my blood flowing very much. Zverev has got a massive chance here to get to the semi-finals. I mean, he, if, you know, if you told him he's got uh, Davidic Fikina, uh, you know, uh, you know, now, and then Chorich or Thompson in quarterfinals, I mean, he, you would be, I mean, he would, he would definitely be like, uh, yes, please. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, Zverev's got a big opportunity there now that Sissipas is out. Um, and yeah, I think it's like who's going to face who's going to face Djokovic in the semi-finals. It feels like Zverev, Shapovalov, Goffan. I think could be quite interesting. I think that's going to be a very aesthetically pleasing match from the baseline. <laughs> I agree. We all know about Shapovalov's shot making, Goffan's you know all court ability. I think that will be a very pleasing match on the eye. I mean, Goffan has been playing again. It's similar to Berrettini and Ruby. I think it's kind of gone through, navigated the draw quite quite efficiently. Um, and is always quite, you know, he's very kind of decent on a on a hard court. So again, I think that's quite an, an interesting matchup um, the, Joel, to see. The real question is, how many games is Pablo Carreno Busta going to win <laughs> against Djokovic? Is it going to be more than single Stra- figures? <laughs> well, yeah, probably. I mean, uh, it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to know. But um, yeah, I guess before we just kind of move on to women, I think it's interesting to note because I saw this on on Twitter, a kind of a, a stat around the fact that. Um, there are ten men in the in round four that are twenty twenty four and under, um, which is the most since the U.S. Open fourth round in two thousand one, um, and in any Slam um, since two thousand nine. So I think it's interesting to see that sort of the younger players. Um, I don't know if that's because of their fitness levels. You know that they've been able to kind of navigate lockdown like a lot easier, or and they've been able to kind of you know, start in a, in a really good place kind of fitness wise, but it's interesting to see that, um, yeah, some of the up and coming players are kind of making, making it through, you know, uh, you know, at the expense of kind of the, almost the older players who are, who, who they've beaten or have, you know, or who are not, who are not playing. Yeah. I think that would make, that would make sense. But also, you know, there is a whole host of the, I don't want to say the next gem because a lot of these players are sort of beyond that now. Um, they've been around for so many years. We Can we call Zverev next gen anymore? Very true. Very true. But you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, 
classes it's 24 though 24 in in the women's game for example probably wouldn't be considered mm. that young i don't very know because they yeah. break through so much younger but um i mean faa is only 20 that is so that is still very young so yeah um gosh but no it's it's um it's good to see uh but you know who knows if if uh well i mean <laughs> at the end of the day Djokovic, who's what 33 is probably still going to be winning the tournament so uh whether you've got x a number of 24 and unders in the fourth round you know how many of them are actually going to go and take the title that's another thing um let's move on to the women's side of events joel because we've had a few Excellent matches over the last few days. We've got our fourth round um, matches all lined up. Uh, where should we start with this? I feel Serena Williams deserves a bit of a mention because she's managed to come through Sloane she's Stevens. She's still there. She's still, still there. there. Although I read a stat that she hasn't actually lost during the first week of the US Open since she's first uh, started playing the wow. US Open in 1998. Wow. So despite That's, her wow. ups and downs, she doesn't lose... Um, in the first week at this tournament ever, basically. So, yeah, she's got Sakari next. She came through Sloane Stevens, dropped the first set, and then came back and and won through. Um, <sighs> Sakari, I feel Serena's got this. I know Sakari's playing well. She played really well against um, Anissimova. And I know she beat her recently for the Western and Southern. But I think, you know, Serena should have won that match. And I think Serena's playing better here and seems a bit calmer and I, I think she's gonna make the quarterfinals I'm not sure because you know if you looked at that Serena Williams Stone Stevens match she started terribly and you know I just don't think she can get away with having such a slow start against like more informed players like uh someone like Sakari um you know I, I mean just a word on that Williams Stevens match I mean it was very um I think it was very much yes yeah, Serena Williams she was able to just find us find a switch in the back of her head and turn it on for you know the second and third sets but that first set was was not a pretty was not a pretty set of tennis and you know I think Sloane Stevens has done I mean she's done well to get to you know to get to this stage you know we were talking about her lack of form yeah we didn't think she'd even be in this match. Did, you know, yeah. we thought she'd be out in the first round, yeah. given her form. Although, interestingly, I mean, interestingly, in um, watching kind of the coverage on Amazon Prime, I mean, I think I, Tim Hemman and Greg Rosetsky were kind of thinking, you know, Stone Stevens is in for an upset here and actually kind of beating Serena. And I don't, I, you know, I, I would, wouldn't have agreed with that. But um, I still think we, it, this Serena Williams is just struggle. I still feel like she's struggling through um any way she can and you know it's very it feels very kind of attritional it's almost like a battle it's a it's a battle within a battle she's battling herself and um you know i think sakari will be a very stern i think she'll be a very stern test for her um let's kind of look elsewhere because we had mukova also come through we talked about sustair earlier mukova came through that um she was three match points down in that tiebreak, wasn't she? And, and Mukova came through. But Mukova, I mean, she's a great, she's a great player, isn't she? I think I was kind of reading a bit of her backstory and bit of a, sounds like a bit of a late bloomer in, in sort of Czech, Czech Republic tennis. But, um, I mean, she's got a great all court game, hasn't she? And, and very aggressive, I think, from, um, from the baseline. Yeah. She could go really deep. I, 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 when I 
first watched her play like last year at Wimbledon I was very impressed I really liked her style um and I've been to the finals didn't she did yeah and then lost to Cicelina okay that was it (laughs) thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I'm waiting for her to kind of make her her breakthrough but I I think does she have does she have uh Azarenka next because that's annoying yeah she, she's playing as a renka next yeah i think it's really yeah. annoying because i would want both of those players to to win that um because as a came through against eager sviatek or sviatek or sviontek as they seem to be saying uh yesterday she came through in straight sets um sviatek though you know very impressive actually the f- the start of the match was very close and um, they took about 30 odd minutes to do the first four games so um and then once Azarenka kind of got the ball rolling, she kind of dominated, um, you know, it was much more comfortable after that point um, as, as the match went on. But, you know, Azarenka, she's eight wins in a row now. Um, after having not won a singles match in a year, she's now put this run Incredible. together. So I just, I don't know, that's, that's going to be a really interesting match uh, between them two, Azarenka and Mukova. I'm really, I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping... Uh, we can get a Azarenka Serena Williams semi-final oh. I mean that feels that feels very it's still there's still a lot of hurdles to go but that would yeah. be a very uh, be I mean I love that that I love that rivalry and it would just be great to kind of continue it um but yeah lots of lots of hurdles to go because um it began in that bottom half we've got we've got Sophia Kenin and Elise Mertens um and um you know Kenin I said right at the start of the podcast, no one is talking about the second number two seed, Sophia Kennan. I said to you before we recorded, I feel like she's getting, she gets almost kind of like put in the Karolina Pliskova category of, you know, she's like a really high seed, but we're, we're kind of expecting her to, you know, go out, at, uh, like go out at each round. And I think that's really unfair because what she's on a 10 10 match winning streak in grand slam she's the australian mm. open champion yeah. there's all this talk on you know serena williams as kind of like the you know the lead american but you know we've got we've got kenin we've got jennifer brady and um we've got shelby rogers i mean there's still a lot of kind of american um there's still a lot of american interest and you know kenin i don't think has dropped a set yet and uh, you know, I thought Onzibor was going to take out Kenny. I'm pretty sure I said that in our in our preview show. Um, but yeah, she came she came through seven six six three. So she's obviously in very good form. But as we all know, Mertens is also um, in in very good form as well. Yeah, Mertens. I could see Mertens beating Kenin, but then I feel like Mertens would just lose the round after. Do you know what I mean? She's not going to win the tournament, but um, she, she. I mean, I'm, I would think Kenin would would come through Mertens, but you, you know that could be could be a bit of a tussle. Um, Keys also uh, had to retire against Elise Cornet, so she's out, uh, which is a bit of a shame for her because who knows? She she was going through the draw very nicely, uh, winning quite easily, but. Um, mm. From a set down, a neck injury. Yeah. Out, which is a shame. Uh, but Corne gets Peronkova next, who, you know, Peronkova um, came through against, oh, Joel, who did she beat in the third round? I can't remember. 
<laughs> oh, I can't remember off the top of my head either. But, but, there was I mean, someone who I was like, oh, that was a, a fi- another efficient win for Peronkova. Um, and again, you know, straight out of maternity leave, she's just made the fourth round of, of a set. Oh, Donna Vekic, that was it. Donna Vekic. Vekic, there you go. Which, yeah. you know, she's a she's a tough contender. So I was impressed again with mm. Peronkova coming through that uh, in straight sets. And she gets Cornet next. So you think Peronkova could... Can, could beat Cornet. Um, yes. And then she's got Serena or Sakari. So that, that oh, you know, there's some really exciting matchups. Um, also, we've got Naomi Osaka against Annette Contevate. That could oh, be one of your favourites. One of your favourites in well, Contevate. Yeah, Contevate, I think, has a lot of potential. And, uh, yeah, could be an upset on the cards here with that one. Um, I mean, the top, the, let's be honest, I mean, looking at the, the round of 16 and the, the top half versus the bottom half, the bottom half. I mean, that's got, I mean, it's at the moment, it's got Serena Williams, it's got Victoria Azarenka, uh, you know, Kenin, Australian open champion, the top half. I mean, it, 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 yeah, I <laughs> mean, you've got some Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Shelby Rogers. I know. I mean, to be fair, you, I think, I think the round of 16, actually, if they all kind of go to the form book in that top half, you've got, I mean, you've got Kvitova, Osaka, Kerber. Mm. Um, I mean, they're all all great players, all Grand Slam champions. I mean, we've, we could be in for a really kind of fantastic quarterfinals onwards, every match blockbuster. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if, if, if it goes to the form book. But Kerber, Kerber Brady. Kerber Brady, that, that is the 50 50 one, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. Brady was very good against Garcia. And, you know, she's just so, so strong on serve. And, um, yeah, I, but Kerber's been playing well as well. You know, she's been kind of going again under the radar and just kind of coming through nicely. So, yeah, that's the one I'm going to, I'm going to be tuning into that one because I think that's first on court later. Um, Martic Patintseva, that could go either way. The only thing I I don't expect any upset from Rogers versus Kvitova. I don't think Shelby Rogers will be beating Petra Kvitova today or tomorrow. No, that one's today, isn't it? Um, but other than that, I think any of the other matches could go <laughs> could go either way. <laughs> I mean, we've got six six Slam champions, four former number one world number ones, three mums. And one reigning slam champion in Sophia Kennan. So, I mean, it's a great, I think it's a great mix. And yeah, I mean, I don't know about our listeners, but I feel like we've got more blockbuster matches in store over the next few days in the women's draw, I think more so than the men's draw. Um, and so, also, uh, yeah, I'm definitely six mm. of the top 10 women, you know, aren't actually playing, yet we've still got an absolutely fantastic lineup of matches, which just goes to show, you know, how the depth in women's tennis, you know, is there and how, I don't know, it's just much more entertaining a lot of the time because you genuinely don't know who's going to win. Shelby Rogers, US Open champion. <laughs> well, let's not go that far, but hey. Um, <laughs> but Joel, before we, before we finish today... What all our listeners want to know is how our collector set is going. <laughs> well, I, all my uh, <laughs> listeners, apart from me, because I did, I've done absolutely shocking uh, so yeah, far. Yeah, you haven't got um, any of them right yeah. so far, uh, but you've still got three <laughs> players who could who could uh, give you some you know, points. Um, yeah, a lot of people have done terribly on Milos Raonic. Uh, only one person. Chris Kneebone got that one right. So it's a sea of red mm, for Raonic. A lot of people got Jon Ons Yabor correct. They, a lot of them had um, round three. So well done. Uh, well done on that one. I think me and you both put Ons Yabor in the quarterfinal. So he kind of misjudged that one. 
but yeah, we've got four players on two correct answers so far. Uh, so I'll, gi- I'll give them a shout out. We've got uh, at ET Froggy, Tom. He got two right. We've got at Sluggish Luca uh, with two correct. Uh, Lynn Pin, uh, she's got two correct. And also Top Spin Lobber. So uh, they are the leading contenders at the moment. Uh, yeah, I've only got one right. So I'll be hoping to rectify that with uh, with uh, Serena Williams and Medvedev, I think. They need to reach the quarters and then lose for me. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. But well done to everyone who's doing better than others so far <laughs> <laughs> yes and we'll put uh we'll put the table out on uh on our twitter so if you want to have a look at the the scores so far and see how terribly i'm doing um and kim doing as well but she's got one correct um then uh, yeah you can have a look at that on our social media but yeah um i hope you've enjoyed listening to this catch-up of round three and also looking at round four um at the us open um if you have enjoyed listening to us and you want to stay up to date on all the goings on in week two at Flushing Meadows, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, um, Overcast, wherever you listen to us, make sure you click that subscribe button. And if you have been enjoying listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And you can also follow us on social media at uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We're on there at Passing Shot Pod. So do get in touch with us. Um, and also, if you want to email the show, you can do so at PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Uh, if you've got any queries, any any burning questions for us, do give us a shout. Yes. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, some point next week to recap uh, round four and look forward as well to the quarterfinals. So I hope you can join us uh, for another episode of The Passing Shot uh, next week when we're going to be in week two um, at the US Open. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm sure there's going to be some more thrills, more shocks uh, along the way. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you shortly. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.